We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good to see everyone this evening. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to Denton Bible Church. Uh, some of you have been here a long time. Some of you have been here before and you've come back. And it's just good to see all of you. If this is your first time, we welcome you. would love to get to know you better, uh, talk with you about anything that you like. But thank you for being with us. It's a, it's a privilege to have you here this evening. How many of you have ever had someone come up to you and ask you a question and you said, been there, done that? <laughs> we, we use that phrase sometimes. Uh, heard somebody say, been there, done that, and got the T-shirt, you know, because you've experienced something that is common or somebody else may be going through. I get calls quite a bit. Um, people knew I had a heart issue, a little more than an issue, but a few years ago, 2013, I guess. Um, I just stopped by Whataburger. How many of you are Whataburger people? Man, I tell you what, that is a Texas thing, isn't it? Uh, when it got bought by another company, there was almost an uprising again here in, in Texas over that. But I had, uh, I had 2013, hot day. I'd just gone by there for lunch and my day off and I was going to go home and mow the grass. And I got a double cheeseburger. Uh, not one, it was two. And you know when you get French fries and they're fresh? I mean, they've just come out. Uh, they haven't been sitting there under a heat lamp, you know. The French fries never even made it the four miles to my house. They never made it. So all the French fries are gone. I'm eating that double cheeseburger. I got a great big drink, and life is good. And I start mowing my grass in the front yard. I got to the front yard and started in the back all the while stopping to take a drink out of that large drink that I still had and, and all of a sudden just felt something strange. I, I don't ever get too hot. Uh, I get cold when it's about 50 degrees, I'm freezing to death and all the rest of you people are saying, ah, but I'm freezing. Uh, but it, when it's 100, I'm good. So I was, I got too hot that day, it was strange and went a little bit further and felt a little pressure in the back of my neck and went inside to try to cool off. I didn't cool off. Felt a little more pressure in different places. Called my wife, who works 30 seconds from our home. Uh, in 2008, she got a job when we moved here to Denton. And we wondered how long her commute would be because her sister goes uh, over an hour and a half every morning for 25 years uh, one way and then coming back that other way. And Holly's commute is 30 seconds if she has to stop at the highway. That's all, 30 seconds called her and said I don't feel very well could you come home by the time she got home I realized something was wrong and I felt pressure in the back of my neck I felt pressure right there right there and then it began here and lo and behold uh, I was having a heart attack now I'm the guy that's been healthy his whole life I mean I've never had anything whatsoever and uh, we get in the car you know I was raised in West Texas the famous last word it'll go away in a minute and I'm telling my wife that. Uh, she says, at least let's do something. I said, let's go to that urgent care. They can just, I'm thinking, check my blood pressure, whatever. We start off down the road as she's driving. I realize, no, I'm having a heart attack. And I call 911. Uh, she screams. I say, I'm having a heart attack. I need an ambulance. They said, pull over. We pulled over in a little dirt road in a little white country church. And guys, uh, can't tell you what it was like to hug my wife and tell her I loved her and said be sure and tell my son and my daughter that I love them because I wasn't sure that I was going to see her again tonight we're going to look at a passage very short it's not very long but 
In fact, some people read this in the Gospel of Mark and, and, and people ask, why in the world did Jesus do this again? Uh, this is the feeding of the 5,000. We've already studied the feeding of the 4,000 uh, is now. And what's the difference and why is it recorded twice? I just want you to know that Jesus loves you this I know for the Bible tells me so. And he loves you. He loves you whoever you are, wherever you've been. Uh, you may feel like I just, I just fade into the crowd and, and God doesn't really recognize or he doesn't know where I'm at. But that's not true. He knows you. There's a reason why there were 4,000 in that first group that he spoke his word to and he fed them. There's a reason now why there's uh, 5,000 in the first group, 4,000 in the next group because there was other people that he loved and he wanted to share with them and he wanted to save them. He wanted to show his might and power that he was the Lord and Savior. So all of God's word is perfect. But I have a lot of people knowing that I went through that. God blessed me to be able. Uh, it does get our attention. Would you say, David, it gets our attention a little bit. Does it get our wives and our children attention a little bit? It does. Uh, and people say, tell me about that circumstance you went through. I always hesitate because uh, everybody else is different and I don't want to share something I went through. Maybe they won't go through that. I don't want to put it in their mind. But after they do and they say, let's talk about it, I, I'm ready to do that because we have some similar things. But I can say I've been there, done that. It looks like in this passage, Jesus and the disciples have been there and done that. Why is it recorded again? Why is it replicated? Why is this, this miracle done again? Well, there's a lot of great reasons. But so I want you to look with me there in uh, the part that, that uh, Jared read to us in Mark chapter 8. And look with me at the beginning of that chapter as Jesus is headed. He has been in uh, the country of the Jews. You remember he said that I, I'm sent to the lost house of the sheep of Israel, uh, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The lady who came and said, would you heal my daughter? And he said, it's not right to take the children's bread, the Jewish that I'm sent to bread and give it to the Gentiles. And she said, yes, but to the dogs. The dogs love to have the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And so... Jesus has been in Israel. He is sent to the Jews first. And they have rejected him. And now he is headed across, as he has done several times, across the Sea of Galilee to a place called the Decapolis. The Decapolis Deca is 10, and it is a 10-city area, and it's almost all Gentiles. There's some Jews spread out in there, but it's almost all Gentiles. The Jews have rejected Christ, and we'll see actually in this passage, this is the last time Jesus teaches and uh, walks in Galilee. He's going to go now to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad he went to the Gentiles? In Isaiah chapter 8, he, this, this son of God to come is going to be a light to the Gentiles. We couldn't be saved, but God in his mercy had some more people that he loved and he wanted to share. And that's what Jesus is doing. So it says in Mark chapter 8 and verse 1, In those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. As Mark is writing this, knows this is going to sound like a repeat. It's going to sound like same song, second verse, second verse, same as the first. It's going to sound like we've already been there and done that. 
But it is, a, it is a miraculous event with another group of people. It's not the same crowd. If Jesus had to do this 15 times, uh, 50 times in the gospel, and more people would trust him and believe him, wouldn't it be worth it? So uh, Jesus is saying here, it, as he writes through Mark's and he, Mark, and he says again, first of all, let me ask you this. Should, should we learn from our past? Right now, as you know, because I tell you about it all the time, we have a one-year-old little grandson. He's the smartest little child you've ever seen. He just, no, he's just wonderful, just like yours are if you have any, uh, or children. But he goes up the stairs, and when he first started going up the stairs just months ago, he slaps the wooden stairs, and then he pulls himself up, and he can barely, barely get his knee up to that other one because it's a big span for a little guy. Well, now he can just go up to that next step and put his foot up there. He doesn't even have to put his knee up there. And we just saw him this week. I was always worried about, you know, his parents are right there behind him, but he goes all up the stairs really fine. But I'm thinking, this kid is never going to be able to go downstairs because all he does is go up. He's going to be stranded on the second floor of the house. This week we got a video and he grabs a hold of the iron bars and he knows how to come down. I tell you what, that is a big event for a, a, a papa and a nana. It really is. You know why he's learning that? Because he's done it. Fell a few times, got a few bumps and scrapes, as we all would, but he's done it. And he's doing it again and doing it again. And that's how we grow as a human being, as a little child, and we start to walk, and it's all, it's all over then. But... Should we learn from the past? I think about our country today, America. Do we need to pay attention to our past and not make some of the same mistakes? Does our world, other nations around the world, do churches need to make sure that we don't fall and make some of the mistakes that we've made before? Do we as individual Christians, I can tell you, amen, I need to make sure I pay attention to my past. I don't want to go through some of those things that I brought on myself. Should our faith be stronger today than it was yesterday? I believe that is true. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Apostle Peter writes. We are to grow in Christ. So this is going to be a passage that tells us the reason Jesus is doing this is there's more people he loves, more people to be saved, and he wants us to grow. It says... In those days when there was again a large crowd, they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said to him, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Uh, a preacher always worries about telling you how many uh, verses we're going to look at because some people are saying, how long is he going to be tonight? And I know some of you take bets on it. I know you do. You're probably wondering right now, when's he going to get through it? Uh, especially in the morning. I want to give you a clue. I was a pastor for 28 years of a smaller church. If that pastor gets long-winded, all you have to do is start cooking some fried chicken in the kitchen of that church. Let that smell go through the vents of the air conditioning system, and he will skip three of his four points and get through, I promise you, once he smells that fried chicken coming through the vents. Jesus called and he said, I have compassion. They have stayed with Jesus for three days. We always laugh in the book of Acts where, you know, the boy, it says when Paul was long preaching, 
the boy was up in the window and he falls asleep and falls down and, and uh, they take him up dead and the Lord through Paul raises him from the dead. We always laughed about that, you know, falling asleep because Paul was long-winded. Well, they have been with Jesus for three days. They want so badly to hear what Jesus is teaching and showing them. They want to be near the Son of God. I do too. It didn't matter how long it took. It didn't matter if they were hungry. It didn't matter what they needed to do because Jesus was there with them. Look at this, this verse, so it's really neat. He said, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. That didn't mean they didn't eat anything in three days, but they probably ran out. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have, have come from a great distance. Hearing those words, have you ever felt like God's so busy and he's dealing with the big things of life that he can't possibly pay attention to your needs? I think we've all probably felt that some, haven't we, before? God's up there in heaven. He is, he is in control of all the universe, causing the sun to stay where it is and the earth to rotate on its axis, the, the moon and the stars to do what they do. He's taking care of all the big things of the nations of the world. Surely he doesn't have time or he's just not going to pay attention to my small need. And I, can't, I can tell you, that I don't think there's anything more wrong than that thought right there. That's why Jesus said, you know, my father, he sees when a sparrow falls to the ground. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Psalm 139, he knows the thought before you have it. He knows you're down sitting, you're uprising. He knows everything about you. That's how personal our God is. He does care. And there's nothing too big you can bring to him and nothing too small. You parents that have parented well, you made it clear to, their, to your children, there's no wrong question you can come ask when you come with a right heart. You can ask anything. And, uh, you know, my son, I hope you're not watching tonight, Clancy, but anyway, my son, when he was in the, the first grade, I picked him up at school. No, I think he was in kindergarten. I picked him up at school, and I said, son, how's your day today? He said, that's good. I'm going to get married. <laughs> and I want to do the same thing that you did right there. I want to laugh out loud, but I knew that I didn't want to hurt my kindergartner and make fun of him or didn't. I, I wanted him to be able to talk to me. And uh, so I said, son, how was your day? It was good. I'm going to get married. Just like that. And I said, oh, really? Driving down the road, I said, you're going to get married? He, he said, yes. Uh, I said, well, who are you going to get married to? And he named this girl in his class. I'm going to get married to her. And I said, uh, uh, really? Okay. Well, what do you like about this girl? Her hair? I think her hair is, is pretty. And uh, I'll never forget. He's 30, 31 years old almost now. And I love to bring that up to him and remind him that in the, he almost got married as a kindergartner. But there is nothing that is, we shouldn't be able to come to our parents with. We ought to have communication. And, uh, you know, I failed in that a lot. My wife has failed in that a lot with two grown children, and we're committed now uh, with our grandchild to be, do better at that. But Jesus knows where these people are, and he said, some of them come from a long way, and they're not going to make it home. They're going to faint in the way. How many of us sometimes feel like Jesus doesn't know our need because maybe he hasn't answered that prayer that we've been praying a lot. Or secondly, that uh, uh, sometimes we feel like we're going we're gonna to give up, we're going to faint on the way before that answer comes. 
Well, just realize, if you are a Christian, he knows where you're at. He knows better than you know where you're at. Nothing too large and nothing too small to bring to Jesus. He loves you, cares for you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Don't listen to the negative voices of the enemy that will try to teach you. He doesn't care. I believe above the storm, the smallest prayer will still be heard. Do you remember that old song? I believe he can hear any prayer of anyone at any time. He says, I have compassion on them. Does anybody remember this old song? It was written by a man named Weigel, W-E-I-G-L-E, in 1932, talking about Jesus that, that truly has compassion. James writes in the New Testament, have compassion on some. Make a difference. I see people today that I wonder, has anybody said hello to them? Has anybody stopped and asked how they are and, and I seek those people out. A lot of times I've got great friends here in the church and I'll be walking down the church foyer and, and we're saying, hey, how are you? And they're saying, hey, how are you? And we gotta talk to you about this. We gotta talk to you about this. And I don't ever wanna hurt anybody's feelings if you know me. But I'm looking over there at somebody standing by the window by themselves, maybe the very first time in the church, and I have to leave my buddies and go over there and see how they are. Jesus had compassion. That, that old song says, I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. You, will, you may have some great friends in your life right now, and I hope you do. I hope everyone does. But you'll never have a friend that cares any more than Jesus does. Three days without food, they're in need, they're, they're hungry. I think about uh, in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and all its righteousness and all these things you need, food, clothes, and, and water uh, will be added to you. He's going to do that here for these people. Now, the disciples, once he says that to them, they've been with us three days, some of them from a far away. I have compassion on them. They don't have anything to eat. If Philip especially, you remember Philip from the feeding of the 5,000? He's the one that tried to tell Jesus what to do. It's really not a healthy thing to tell Jesus, the Son of God, what he ought to do in ministry. It's not good. We're going to read in a minute the Pharisees are going to come and try to argue with Jesus. It's really not a healthy thing to do to argue to the one that created you. But here he says, they've been with us three days. They're hungry. Send them away. Philip could have stood up and said, wait a minute, guys. Here we go again. You remember what miracle Jesus did last time? I can't wait to see what he does this time. You remember when he caused all that little boy's lunch, those five loaves and two fish that that little boy had? And we, we got those from him. He blessed it. And we kept giving those fish and that bread out. And, and he fed 5,000 men and all the rest of their families. And the disciples should have gone wild. They should have said, all right, he's going to do something else again. I can't wait to see what it is. That ought to be what we feel like when we come to church. You know what? I have failed to let the Lord use my life. If you don't come to church and truly expect your life to change. I've failed. I've failed myself if I don't expect my life to change. We don't read God's word to check off a little box and say I've been there and I've studied that. 
we come to church to have an encounter with our Savior. Where is Philip? Where are the rest of the apostles? They should have said, we can't wait. Y'all just gather up. We've seen it before. You're not going to believe what's about to happen. They don't. He turns to them and he says, disciples answered him in verse 4, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? I want to do like that, you know that V8 commercial you used to have a long time ago? Boom. What in the world? What do you mean where are they going to go find bread? Jesus is standing there. He multiplied it. He did a miracle right in front of their eyes. And the disciples haven't learned. Before I get too rough on the disciples, is there anything you and I have watched him do in our life and we somehow forget what he did or we have to go through it again? And, you know, I give Peter a hard time. I really do because I want to talk to Peter when I get to heaven. We got, we got some things to discuss. But you know what? I've done the same thing. I've seen God answer my prayers before, get me through some tough stuff in my life, and then when that next tough thing comes, I start over sometimes, worry about it too much, instead of going back and saying, what's he gonna do this time? Philip could have said, been there and done that. You just wait. Something good is about to happen, and something good is about to happen. How easy is it for us to forget what the Lord has done for you. Oh, by the way, before I go any further, have any of you ever made a deal with the Lord? You're in a tough spot, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially, familially, in your family, somehow, relationships, and you said, God, if you'll just do this, I'll never do this again, I'll never do this, I'll, I'll go and be a missionary in Zambia, Africa, whatever the deal you made with God, have you ever done that before? How long does that last? He answers your prayers. He does it. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful to remember that he's faithful to us. We need to be faithful to him. So the disciples here, they could have said, been there, done that. You just wait and see what's going to happen. If we're not careful, we're just like Philip and Peter and Andrew and the rest of them. Old, old hymn also. There was a lot of theology in those old hymns. There's a lot of theology in some of the new songs too. But an old hymn said, count your blessings. Why did that hymn writer tell us to count our blessings? What's the purpose of that? That's in the past. I've got things that I've written back since I was just a little boy. I mean, I came to know Christ at eight years old. I've been in my, the Bible ever since then. So I write things down. I've got so much stuff, you just can't believe it. My college dorm room, I had things all over the wall. My roommate was just, you know, he's a pastor today too, so he got saved. But anyway, what do you have all that stuff written down for? You know why? I need to remember it. And I pulled one out one time from decades ago. And I, I saw major events that God had done in my life up until that time. And I was a young man at that time. But I saw those major events. And then I saw... Every time I'd prayed about that over at the right-hand side, I'd prayed and I'd prayed and I'd begged him and I'd begged him. You know why it was good for me to pull that piece of paper out again? First of all, so I could thank him again for getting me through those times. But secondly, so when I look forward to the future, 
I can look and say with confidence, the same God that brought me through those struggles and those hard times, he's here today and he's going to get me through these things. You want to see one of the neatest places in all the scripture? You ladies, you ought to just be blessed by this. In Proverbs 31, we won't turn there for time's sake tonight. Proverbs 31 talks about a godly woman. And if you study that, ladies or men, you realize that is not a passive woman in that chapter. She is a go-getter. She is a strong personality, a strong-willed lady, just like strong-willed Christian ladies are today. You ladies, don't you ever let the enemy, any church or anybody tell you you are less than, you are not as good as your job. I have people say, well, I'm, I say, what's your career? I'm just a mother. And I want to say, don't, don't use that word just because there's no man that could ever do that. I promise you, you are in a high position of calling by God. But something so neat in Proverbs 31 in the verse that says, strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. One of the greatest verses in all the scripture. This godly wife, godly believer, godly mom smiles at the future. Now how in the world could she do that? You know how a godly woman can smile at tomorrow? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, do we? Or the next day and the next day. With all the struggles going on in the world and all the things that a mom has to do or a wife does in their their home or her job or whatever she does, this godly woman can smile at the future. You know how you do that? Because you look back and say, Jesus, that got me through this and this and this and got our family through this and got my husband through this and got me and my children through this and that same Jesus is right here with me today and no matter what tomorrow throws at me she can smile she's not boasting bring it on I'm tough she smiles at the future to know if God be for us who can be against us I love that and you ladies you are so valuable to the church verse 5 and he was asking them how many loaves do you have It seems like human nature, we always focus on what we don't have. And Jesus is always asking, well, what do you have? Do you know you're never responsible for something you don't have? You're only responsible for what he's given us. And he said, how many loaves do you have? This should have reminded Philip right then and said, oh, wait a minute, I remember now. Y'all just wait and watch because we're going to see another miracle. In the Old Testament, there was a time when they were, uh, Israel was going to go out to battle and, and God told uh, their, their leader to say these words, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand still and see the salvation of our God. The Jewish people didn't have to raise a sword. God wanted them to know, I'm the one that will fight the battles of Israel. I'm the one that will defeat the enemy. You stand still and watch. Philip should have said that. Peter should have said, hey guys, this is no big thing. We're, we're here with the Son of God, the co-creator of the universe. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto this man. He's the Messiah, the Christ that we've been waiting for for thousands of years. You hungry? Oh, that's a little thing for him. Let's watch and see what he does. But just like us sometimes, we get bogged down in the minutia. Do you? Get bogged down in the worry how many loaves do you have and they said seven now remember five loaves and two fish 
they came up with certain number of baskets left over, 12. He was dealing with Jews in the first instance of this, this miracle of feeding the 5,000. They had 12 baskets left over. 12 is always a symbol of God's covenant with his Jewish people. And now he says, how many do you have? Seven. We know, not reading anything into scripture, but we know the, the number seven is a complete number, a, a, a fulfilling number in the Bible. It is God uses seven sometimes to show his perfectness. You remember what that lady a couple weeks ago said? Jesus said it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs underneath the table. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs want the crumbs that fall from the children's table. Jesus said, I am sent first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm sent first. And what does that imply? I'm going to get to the Gentiles later, but I have the Jews first. That's why the feeding of the 5,000 is first. And the feeding of the 4,000 Gentiles is next. Jesus is fulfilling his own words right here. Seven is always a number of completeness. And here God offering salvation to the Jews. And now he's completing that offer of salvation to Gentiles. You and I are sitting in a church made up mainly, mainly, not all, but mainly of Gentiles that have been grafted in with God's people. Seven. He directed, verse 6, the people to sit down on the ground. Sounds familiar. Taking the seven loaves. He gave thanks and broke them. Been there, done that. Started giving them. There in Greek is in the imperfect tense. And, and it means, and those things are important. It means that he started giving to them and he kept on giving. He just kept on giving. When I was a little boy, the only time I can ever remember, we were at a, a circus somewhere. Do you remember the little cars and all the, the little people that kept getting out of the car? You know, it's a little bitty car and you think two people can fit in there and they open the trunk and here comes one and then another and there's four and five and six. And I don't know how they do it, but like 15 or 20, you know, real small people come out of that car. You just think it's never going to end. A magician takes those handkerchiefs and he keeps pulling things out of the hat and it just keeps on going. Well, that's the, the idea of that Greek word there. Jesus was giving them and he kept giving there's only seven loaves, but in the hands of Jesus, there's no telling what he can do. He gave thanks, broke them, and started giving them to his disciples to serve to them. Notice again, as in the former miracle, Jesus wants to use people like you and me in ministry. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. We are jars of clay but he's chosen to use us in the ministry. Jesus could have just said, they're all filled. They're not hungry anymore. He could have just said, uh, uh, here's all the food you want and thought it and they were completely satisfied. But he chose to multiply the, the bread and the fish and give it to the disciples so that they would give it to others. He wants to use people like you and me in the ministry. He gave it to the disciples to serve to them. They served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and he had blessed them. It looks like he, he did two different prayers there. Uh, he, you have to pray for this food, and then he got some more and prayed for that. The other day I was eating lunch with some friends, and a really nice restaurant, and they, 
the man, the head of the table, said, let's, let's get some appetizers. So he ordered several appetizers. I don't even know what they all were, but they tasted good. And we prayed, we prayed. And then the food uh, took so long to come out. I mean, all the appetizers were gone. Uh, we had waited a long, long, long time. And finally, when they brought the food out, the rest of the food, the main course to serve, one of the ladies at the end of the table said, do you think we need to pray again? It's been so long, do we need to pray again? Well, it looks like here he prayed for the bread. Now he prays for the fish again. In a meeting one time, we had a lot of hundreds of people and I'd said, please come in the line, get your food. We're gonna have a blessing in just a few minutes. We're gonna ask God to bless the food, but go ahead, 10 minutes, get your food. Many of you, I'll stop on the microphone, let you know we're gonna pray. And I said, surely God can retroactively bless your food. I thought that was funny. Nobody laughed very much, but I thought it was funny. And when 10 minutes was up, some people had already started eating. And uh, so I said the prayer. And a lady came up after the dinner that night. And she said, you know that, that uh, that's in the Bible, don't you? About God can pray bless your food uh, later on and I said no what do you mean she said in the Psalms it says bless the Lord and all uh, bless the Lord oh my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name <laughs> that's rightly using the scripture isn't it <laughs> he gave thanks for the bread he gave thanks for the fish he ordered the, these to be served as well and they ate and were satisfied Mark emphasized the fact that Jesus fulfilled the, the utmost the people's needs. How does Jesus save us? New Testament says he saves us to the uttermost. Jesus is ready to save people's lives. And they picked up seven large baskets full. There's that word, that number seven again. And of, of what was left over the broken pieces, about 4,000 were there and he sent them away. Guys, God's not out of ways of answering our prayers. He knows what we need before we ask him. He loves and delights to work in his children's lives. We need to come to him. We've got to walk with him. We don't need to be in open rebellion against him. Sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers because we're a disobedient child. And we've got to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And he's always ready to welcome you. You remember that prodigal son? prodigal son said I want what I want and I want it now I'm going to get my inheritance now and I'm going to leave my daddy and I'm going to go and he went and spent all that he had in riotous loose living the world would say he sowed his oats well he sowed them so much he would love to eat what the pigs that he's feeding only job he could get feeding pigs have you ever fed pigs before I want to tell you that is not something to aspire to it is not a degree plan in college and he says, oh, my, my dad's hired hands were better off than I am. I'm going to go back and tell him I've sinned against God and against you, Dad. I don't ask you to take me back as a son, but I take, would you take me back as a hired son, a hired servant? And it says the father was looking for him at all times. Isn't that good? He was looking for his son to come home. And he saw him far off. And he began to ran, run toward his son. I hope my children, I hope your children know. Even if they make mistakes and make wrong choices, you don't agree with their choices, you don't love their choices, but you love them. And they're always, always can come home. 
And that boy starts and says, I've sinned against God and against you, and I'm not worthy to be one of your children anymore. Make me a hired hand. And the daddy says, you go kill the fatted calf. Get my ring, put it on him, robe. You put it all on him, for my son was dead, and now he's alive. That's what Jesus is doing here. We were separated from a holy God, and he's coming saying, children, come home. Come home to the one that loves you more than you know that he loves you. Come home to the Father in heaven. He ordered them to be served. They all ate and were satisfied. Picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. Jesus never does anything halfway. Did you notice that in the scripture? He doesn't almost get it done. He intends for us as, as believers to not do things halfway either. He intends us, for instance, in one place he says, Give, and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now unto him who is able to do abundantly above all you ask or think. Jesus always outdoes what he had done before. That's the God that we serve. He anoints my head with oil, and my cup overflows. That's Jesus. They had so much left over, seven large baskets full of the broken pieces about 4,000 were there <coughs> and he sent them away and immediately that's number 27 if you're counting in the book of Mark he entered the boat with the disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha that's a place also called Magadan it's the west of the, uh, of the sea of Tiberias Gentiles were fed there there were other people that needed to hear about him this goes on to say that the Pharisees came out began to argue with him. That's not healthy to argue with your creator. Seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. I want to do the V8 thing again. They're asking for a sign? Where have they been? What have they just seen? He has done miracles. He's touched blind men and made them able to see and the deaf man of last week. And he's done all these miracles and they come, we want you to show us a sign. They really don't care about him. It says to test him. How many people know what Jesus has done in your life, but they still haven't come and responded in faith to trust him also? You can see the miracles and know they're true and not be saved yet. In verse 12, it says, Jesus sighing deeply in his spirit. Another version says he groaned in the spirit. There was a time when I disobeyed my mom, not just once. It sounds like I just did it once, but... I remember a time specifically that I did something. My mom was disappointed in me. And I still remember seeing her face. And I wonder if she groaned in her spirit when I did what I shouldn't have done. Broke my heart. It broke my heart to think about that. Broke her heart because I didn't obey her. Jesus deeply sighing in his spirit. He said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Matthew adds Jesus' words. It said, except the sign of fish for three days. He came out of it and he said, so shall the Son of Man be in the, in the grave for three days and be, rised, uh, be raised. Jesus is telling them, the only sign you're really going to get and you have to deal with is the fact that the Son of God is going to be raised from the dead. Or do you believe that? What do you say about that? In verse 14, and they had forgotten to take bread. I just want to go, not again. They've just seen him perform miracles and feed 4,000 men and all their wives and children. 
and the disciples get in the boat to leave with Jesus and they're worried because they only got one loaf of Miss Baird's bread with them. How quickly can we forget or not trust Christ? Just forgot to take bread and did not have uh, more than one loaf in the boat with him. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now when he said the word leaven, they knew that that was yeast, that was something that was put in bread to make it rise. But Jesus is talking about evil. He's talking about the bad guys, wrong doctrine, wrong teaching. And he said, beware. Philip, Peter, and Andrew, John, they're all worried about physical bread. And Jesus says, I tell you what, you better worry about spiritual uh, leaven that can ruin the whole loaf. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, what they teach. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you, do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? He's quoting scripture, by the way. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces? broken pieces you picked up then they said 12 when I broke the 7 for the 4,000 how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up and they said 7 and he was saying to them do you not yet understand and I want to close tonight just asking you to think about our country our country regardless of the revisionists in history that rewrite the textbooks our country was a place where people who wanted to worship God and not be told how to worship God other than the scripture. No man as a tyrant telling them how to worship God. They sought us another place to come. A few pilgrims came over on a treacherous uh, journey. Many of them didn't make it, but some of the ones who did. Covenanted together uh, to be a new place, a new land, where people could be free to worship according to the dictate of their own conscience. They wanted to be uh, a city set on a hill like the scripture talks about. Puritans came, and Puritans weren't perfect, but they were intent on being what God wanted them to be. And a lot of good things happened during that time. That is our history in this country, regardless of what about anybody else wants to say. And I want to tell you, I believe that God has blessed the United States for 200 and, and some odd years because of the how we started. Oh, God... You're our creator. Those founding fathers were not ashamed to put God's name in those documents. Many of them were the signers of the declaration and many of those founding fathers were pastors. They started schools like Yale, Princeton, Harvard. They were started to teach the gospel. That's our heritage. That's how we started. I believe God has blessed our country. You and I have known the blessings in America because those who went before us. Secondly, I believe God's blessed America because we have been a brother to Israel. That doesn't mean that we agree with everything that happens in Israel and their government. They can make wrong decisions just like some other governments we know. But we still believe that they are God's chosen people and he's going to keep his promises to them. And when it all ends up, we're going to see that it's going to be just like God said for Israel. And he told us to pray for Israel. And that's why, thank you for doing that earlier. We'll do that 
I hope constantly in our lives. But are we going to be a country that forgets that God fed us? Are we going to be a country that forgets that God protects us? I had an evangelist come to the church that I pastored all those years in uh, 2001, the early part of that year. And he said, I want to tell you something. God's hand of protection has been upon the land of America. We cannot deny it. We have never had a major attack by a foreign enemy on our, our soil in 200 years. That was right before 9-11. Who do you think had his hand on this country so we didn't have those attacks? One pastor said, I'm not afraid God's hand will come upon me. I have a relationship with him. I'm not afraid he's going to hurt me, but I'm sure afraid he'll take his hand off me. Could we be experiencing that in our country today? All we have to do is just go back, seek the old paths, go back and teach love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there's no law. How long has it been since you've heard young people say the golden what? We grew up hearing it all the time. We just need to go back and do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We can change this country. There's a group in this church room here tonight that could change this country. Wait a minute. Do you see how few we are? The Bible says that those 12 disciples turned the world upside down. We could be that. So I just want to encourage you. Go home tonight. Thank God for our country. We need to pray for our nation, the nations around the world. We need to pay, pray for college campuses. We don't need to just surrender and say, oh, they've all gone this way. We need to recapture them and send people and get, put professors and teachers in there that love the Lord. We need to pray for our government, our institutions, our states, our cities, our neighborhoods, families. We need to pray for individuals. How frustrating it must be to Jesus to see his disciples that didn't even believe so quickly. You may be facing something here tonight that you wonder, will Jesus do something about it? And you realize he's really the only one who can. Would you trust him to do that? You'll always find him ready. There's no one that ever came to Jesus in the scripture. Did you know that? There's no one that approached Jesus in a humble manner that Jesus didn't reach back to them and help them. He's here in his place tonight. And when you let him do that work in your life, never forget it. Remember the next time the struggle comes, he'll give you the strength like the Proverbs 31 woman to smile at the future. Can we go through some tough times? You bet. Have we gone through some tough times? You bet. Can we as a church go through some tough times? You bet. Jesus, we've been there and done that. And let's wait and see what good he does this time. Let's pray. As Lucifer and his guys come forward to sing, uh, lead us in our last song, uh, I do want to ask you after I get through praying here and after they lead us in our last song that you'd remain seated. Uh, we're going to have an announcement by the chairman of our elders here tonight for all of you. So uh, would you please remain seated after I get through praying and after we sing this last song. Father, we bow before you in great thankfulness for this passage tonight, that you fed the Jews, but you also came to offer salvation to the Gentiles, and we're so glad you did. And these 4,000, with all their family, needed to hear your message also. You loved them so much.
you went and found where they were. And Jesus, you had compassion on them. Thank you for having compassion on us. Thank you for having compassion on our country. Everything good about America is because of you. Help us to turn back to you in every way that we should. Thank you for having compassion on our churches. Help us where we failed you, Lord, and help us to trust you so that the next time another multitude needs to get fed, we can say, been there and done that. I can't wait to see what Jesus is going to do this time. And Lord, if there's somebody in the room here tonight that needs somebody to pray with them, let them not leave before we have that opportunity, please that they might have just a closer walk with you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.